Welcome to Talking Tech Transfer. My name is Thierry Hehlers, and this is part two of our collaboration with 10U, where we are bringing you three exclusive panels hosted by Andrea Taylor, the Head of Strategic Partnerships at Edinburgh Innovations, recorded live in front of a high-caliber group of guests in May. Andrea, can you give us an introduction to the second panel? So the second panel today is talking about building ecosystems. And on that, we have Andrew Wilkinson from the University of Manchester, Anne Lane from UCL, and Simon Hepworth from Imperial College London. Thanks, Andrea. Here we go. The next topic that we want to move on to, that's around building ecosystems in innovation. So that underpins this sort of creativity and success. And I think when we talk about building ecosystems, this sort of naturally involves the buildings, the physical spaces that supports the coming together of research and ideas so that we have the right meeting and lab space to attract and nurture talent. But this also equally means building ecosystems that involve creating the partnerships both with local and international stakeholders, such as local government, the investors, industry. You know, we wanted to, in this next part of the conversation, present some of the successes and highlight the challenges in that ecosystem building and ask how can we deepen both the connections that we have and expand those for the benefit of the wider sector. So joining in this part of the conversation is Andrew Wilkinson from Manchester, Anne Lane from UCL and Simon Hepworth from Imperial College London. So perhaps, Andrew, you'd like to speak first on how we think about success in partnership development and developing those ecosystems. I know you've had some great successes in Manchester. Thanks. Yeah, partnerships are really important. And, and of course, Tenure is an example of a partnership which is working well. In Manchester, we have, over many, many years, the technology that's come out of the university has been underfunded. And that's not only true in Manchester, it was true of other big northern cities where there was a huge amount of research taking place, very high world-leading research, and that wasn't being reflected in the amount of investment in spin-out companies that we were generating. And a horrific statistic is in 2018, the universities of Manchester, Leeds and Sheffield collectively got 23 million in investment into their spin-out companies, and the Golden Triangle got a billion. That statistic is shocking because if you combine the research expenditure within those three universities in the north, it's about £800 million a year. So there was a problem there, and one of the partnerships that we can kind of celebrate is a collaboration between ourselves, the universities of Sheffield and Leeds, whereby we decided to take our fate into our own hands. And rather than kind of rely on external sources of venture funding, that what we would do is create our own funding vehicle with considerable help from Research England through their Connecting Capabilities Fund. So we decided to create an investment vehicle, which I think many of you will know is called Northern Gritstone. And in order to provide early stage funding, well, not just early stage, actually, let's say funding into technologies coming out of the universities and not to do it in isolation, but to work alongside other sources of funding to really create impact from the excellent world leading research that was taking place at the universities. I'm pleased to say that collaboration has been and that partnership has been absolutely amazing. Tomorrow there will be a press release going out 
which I can't give you too much detail, but let's say that we will be announcing an initial investment into Northern Gritstone of over £200 million, and we'll be expecting that number will reach £350 million by the end of the year, and Northern Gritstone will start deploying funds uh, in June this year. So that's great news. And it was done because within our partnerships, we had three universities, Leeds, Sheffield, and Manchester, that were all faced with a similar problem. We all had a similar approach to how we were going to solve that problem. And therefore, we decided that we needed to do something at scale. We needed to attract investment towards our companies. But also, we recognized that we were just three universities in the north. So we also designed Northern Gritstone that it would also support other university spin-outs, whether it be from Liverpool or Lancaster or Hull or York. We would also enable Northern Gritstone to invest in those spin-outs and also in other IP-rich businesses coming out of the north because we wanted it to be a game-changer, not just for our universities, but for the north of England and to attract further venture funding, both from other parts of the UK and also from overseas into the north. And often, if you want to make something happen, you've got to create partnerships. You've got to be able to identify common problems that you have with other organizations and work together to find a solution at scale. Thanks. And Anne, perhaps you want to talk a little bit about the experience of ecosystem building from UCL's perspective. Yeah. And I think London's an unusual place for ecosystems because I think Imperial and UCL probably have their own ecosystems around their universities because they're so big. And because you've got very different environments in London, say, compared to Cambridge and Oxford, where those ecosystems have built naturally with, I think we were talking this morning, there's about 30 science parks just around Cambridge alone and the VCs have moved there. In London, I mean, we're surrounded by VCs, for instance, but they're not necessarily coming and investing in the university technologies. And so I think for a big city like London and similar to New York, you have to make more of an effort to, as you were saying, bring those groups together. So we've had a number of initiatives. We've had the London Biotechnology Network, We've got MedCity, we've got the London Bioscience Innovation Centre that was set up as an incubator, Imperial set up, Imperial West, UCL's moved out east. So I think the challenges that then result are really trying to bring in people to service those new technology discoveries because housing is so expensive and attracting talent, I think, is very difficult within a big city. So we've all tried to do our own things within our smaller ecosystems and then I think the main challenge is really and those have been quite successful I mean Imperial actually although I hate to say it Imperial West has got two of our biggest spin-out companies based there because there wasn't space for them where we were so I think those separate initiatives have worked well I think the challenge then is how do you mesh all of those things together into one cohesive ecosystem if that's what you want to do. And like Tenu, it's sharing best practice, I think, within those setups because we've all come up against the same problems because the environments we're in. So I think really the main thing to take on board there is that each ecosystem's different. There isn't one solution fits all. And although New York looks very similar to London, there's a huge number of differences that just wouldn't work here. And we are working with Research England on an ecosystem project, but that's one of the big challenges there is actually trying to find similar environments to the ecosystems of London that we're looking at is really difficult. Mm -hmm. So there are some successes, but I think there's a lot of challenges to to come. Yeah, and just moving on to those challenges, you know, funding that the sort of that 
asset development proof of concept stage is key to underpinning these sort of successful ecosystems. And we've all in our different regions sort of grappled with that. And certainly in Edinburgh, no more than others, we know sort of from being away from a hub of a sort of financial ecosystem, that the proactiveness that you need to attract that level of funding is important and have had some successes in doing that, not least with the establishment of Epidurex as a VC that we've invested in and, you know, a very vibrant angel network that supports that. But perhaps, um, Simon, you'd like to comment from the perspective of Imperial on some of those challenges around proof of concept funding and how that can help underpin success, but particularly the challenges as well in developing that. Yeah, thank you. I can do that. I'll build on something that Tony talked about earlier as well in terms of ecosystems going through a journey and taking on, filling some gaps at certain periods of time and then perhaps not doing things that the market is providing. And I think Imperial has taken that stance now that we don't have a Northern Gritstone type fund out there and we're relying on London as the source of capital for our startups. But we are forever looking at gaps. We're looking up to our peers around the world. We're looking at Stanford and MIT. We've copied across the venture mentoring service from MIT. We did that about five years ago, recognizing that particular mode of engagement we felt would work really well in our community, and it has done. And we're identifying new gaps, and one of those is at this sort of de-risking level, so post-research, but pre-investment, some of the really deep technologies that are going to be critical for society in five, ten years' time on sustainability, health, and security. These require capital after the research grant, but before a VC investor will touch them. So they're still too risky. It's too early to form a startup around them. And that funding is available in some vehicles. So we've got things like the Impact Accelerator accounts. Some of the medical research charities provide certain schemes, but the scale of it is nowhere near enough to fund the deep technologies that we have. So we're launching something called DT Prime at Imperial or Deep Tech Prime. And we're looking actually to learn from Stanford have done what Karen was talking about uh, this morning around an innovative medicines initiative, philanthropically funded, and a sustainability hub, the same philanthropically funded. We're looking, can we create philanthropic funding to close this gap, this de-risking gap? And we'll be meeting with Minister George Freeman a bit later as well to encourage him to have government to consider this as an area for funding. And just before we open it to the floor, one thing I wanted to pick up on, we've talked about sort of funding, but you know, one thing to consider as we come out of the pandemic is the physicality of ecosystems. We've all sort of spent a couple of years in lockdown. We're sort of moving to hybrid working. And, you know, all of us have been involved in sort of developing biotechnology parks. We have our own in Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Bioquarter. And, you know, as I say, we've been talking about those in each of our regions. But with this move, you know, to hybrid working, I wonder if I can ask the panel to comment on how you see the physicality of space in playing a significant role in fostering commercialization as we go forwards. Will it be important or is that sort of now something we need to pay less regard to, Andy? I think it's incredibly important and I think the pandemic has showed us how important it is because you need to rub shoulders with people. You need to share ideas. And not only that, in Manchester, we're creating a project called ID Manchester, which is going to be a mix of very large companies and small startups and organizations such as mine, and also people coming in, researchers coming in from the university. 
And the idea is to create a fertile environment for ideas and larger companies to be able to find talent and collaborate with smaller companies. This notion that all you do is build a sort of an anonymous tower and, you know, rent out the office space by a per meter squared is gone. And I think to have a successful innovation district, you need a mix of tenants. And I think the more sort of far-sighted property developers have understood that. And hopefully we're going to see more of those around the country. And just finally, the role of sort of this different stakeholders, so local government, local communities, they're actively playing a role in these ecosystems. But I wonder if maybe Anne and Simon, you want to comment on how these local communities and government are and perhaps should be playing a role in our ecosystem development. Yeah, no, I can. I mean, with UCL, it's Camden. That's our biggest local council. And in terms of our building, you know, in terms of UCL's space within Camden, it has a huge effect on the services that are needed and just the local industry. So even if you just think about students living in the area, it has a huge impact on that. And so we've worked very closely with Camden, one, to make sure that we're not having a detrimental effect on the area, but also that we're looking at things like social enterprise, which is something I think that universities can really contribute to, where in a big city like London, and particularly in Camden, you've got some areas of very significant social deprivation, and not necessarily just deprivation, but ways you can enhance that local community anyway through social enterprise. Because I think very often universities like UCL and Imperial are so big, they're very often seen as not as part of the local community, and yet they have a huge impact on it. So having that constant dialogue, I think, with your local authority, effectively, and your local business groups, things as simple as shops and theatres and restaurants is really important. Any further perspective, Simon, that you want to add? From Imperial, our spiritual home is South Kensington, which is in the Museum District of London. So our neighbours there are things like the Science Museum, the Natural History Museum, the Royal Albert Hall. It's a very different kind of community to many universities, but Moving out west, so we are our White City campus, which is focused on innovation and business, is about three miles away, and it has got a local community around it. And it's a community where the life expectancy is something like seven years less than what it is around us in central London. So it's an area of deprivation. It's changing us in terms of how we interact. So we have a makerspace there where local community can come in and learn how to prototype, learn how something could be manufactured we have things like the coding clubs. We have students that come in and help the older people in the community learn just how to use their tech, just simply how to use their mobile phones, for example. So that is changing us in, in a very positive way. I open it up to the floor. Is there any comments? Yes. Hi, Jeff Skinner, London Business School until next week anyway. I don't necessarily believe the point I'm going to make, but I think it needs explaining nonetheless. Andy, when you said, oh, in comparison to the Golden Triangle, we're so low. I mean, in some venture funding, in some ways, that's success. An economist would say starting a new venture developer technology is extraordinarily wasteful because you have to set up everything from scratch. Whereas if you have an organization that you can work with by collaboration and work with by licensing, that's actually a much more efficient way of doing it. And maybe that's what you were doing. So maybe you were far ahead of everybody else because you didn't need these flipping funds because you had industry and partners and things. And, and as we all know, the amount of money is a poor surrogate perhaps, but it's often all we've got is to say that spin-outs provide a 20th of research collaborations. So perhaps all this emphasis that you everybody came out with in terms of, oh, we need venture, proof of concept funds different, but all the venture funds, maybe having to have venture funds is actually a source of weakness. I mean, first of all, you're right. 
that university spinouts aren't the whole answer, but university spinouts are an important component, and they of course must work alongside licensing technology to large companies. They must work alongside student enterprises. They must work alongside other forms of collaboration. But they are also an indicator of, I mean, you often, a large company, I spent most of my life working in commercial companies and industry. And what we would do is we would see a piece of technology we thought was really interesting that had been developed by a small startup company, and we'd go and grab that technology. So gone are the days, unfortunately, where large companies spend a lot of money on R&D that what they tend to do is they tend to adopt technologies that have been actually developed by smaller companies. So therefore, if you want to take technology out of universities and put it into large companies, one mechanism, not the only, but one mechanism to do that is to purchase a smaller company. And I think we need to make sure that we support those smaller companies to get them to a stage where that technology can either be adopted by somebody else or they can actually grow themselves. And I think that was perhaps our weakness. Looking at the economies of Manchester, Leeds and Sheffield, versus the economies of Cambridge and London, I think you can make your own decisions about where the money is and the wealth of those cities and to see if there's been benefit to London by having and Cambridge to having a vibrant source of funding for technology. Any other questions? Thank you. Tatiana Scofield, Royal Culture of Art. My question to the panel, it would be interesting to hear your view on how you see bringing arts and humanities into building innovation ecosystems. For example, at the RCA, we work with companies like IBM, Pilkington, BP, British Airways, Samsung, Copa, name a few, who value our innovation, our unorthodox thinking, and bringing creativity into technology adoption and developing new use cases. Thank you. Um, do you want to take that? So we had a um, scheme with the Design Council probably five or six years ago, which was more applicable to our physical sciences and engineering side than it was really on the bio side, because they would help package very high tech. So we had a monitoring system, for instance. When you go to see investors and you show investors something that looks nice, but Apple's a great example of that, then you've almost won the battle already. That really made a difference was actually having that design input and that sort of artistic look at how something looks and feels as well as what it does. We found that made a really big difference with investors. And then the second thing is Slade School of Fine Art is part of UCL. And we had a fantastic collaboration with the mining, the coal authority, for using their waste products to make a range of paints that was developed at the Slade School of Fine Art. So I think bringing those two areas together, arts and humanities really has a strong part to play in even the deep tech side of things. It's made a big difference to us. And if I can just comment, we've seen that in a lot more of the multidisciplinary partnerships that are emerging, the role of our College of Arts, Humanities and Social Science is really increasing, so particularly even something like digital health. Yes, it involves medical colleagues looking at the patients, the science and engineering colleagues bringing that informatics capability, but the design of digital technologies to be utilised by patients, how they interface that sort of whole design informatics is really important. And to exemplify that in Edinburgh, we've just actually established a new college team for the College of Arts, Humanities and Social Science to embed among the scientists, particularly to surface the sorts of opportunities that are emerging from sort of policy, business, arts, design, and how they're complementing particularly some of these multidisciplinary partnerships that we're now interested to put together. Just to add to that, the London Mayor runs an entrepreneurship competition every year, and this year a third of the finalists come from Imperial College London, 
And out of those finalists, four come from our collaboration with the Royal College of Art, which is our innovation design engineering course. So the power of ideas that come from design are critically important. So just before we move on, the last thing I want to sort of dwell on is that among the tenure, we've got a lot of significant relationships with many of our stakeholders, local and international. And I guess one of the questions for us is, and perhaps for the audience, is how can we extend those relationships and make sure that the impact of those is broadly felt, not just for the tenure, but broader universities and the wider community. So I wondered to sort of wrap this section whether they want to reflect on that perspective. Andrew? Yeah, I think the 10U is quite a small group. And what's important, and obviously a huge and important role for Praxis Oral as well, is to kind of share some of the best practice to as many organizations as possible, to demonstrate and to celebrate when we do have successes in terms of innovation, that we communicate those as widely as possible. And then we stress the importance of taking world-leading research and turning it into something that has really positive impact in the world. And I think we have to all get better at communicating and kind of celebrating success.